Hi, and welcome to Fusion Focused. I'm your host, Ella Fox Widows, a PhD student studying plasma physics for fusion energy. The aim of this podcast is to showcase some cool and inspiring experts within the fusion energy field, highlight the variety of diverse careers available within fusion, and chat with my guests about why they are passionate about fusion energy. Hope you enjoy. episode of Fusion Focused, I'm joined by Dr. Kirsty Mackay, a lecturer at the University of Liverpool. We talk about her research into atmospheric pressure plasmas. We discuss low temperature plasmas and how they are linked to fusion. And we also talk about imposter syndrome and the necessity for diversity within fusion, with a couple of contributions by George the Parrot. Hi Kirsty, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Nick. So to begin, what is your current role? Um, so I am a lecturer um, in the electrical engineering department at the University of Liverpool um, and within that I do obviously teaching as well as research. What was your motivation behind pursuing a career within like plasma physics and fusion? Um, so originally I, I wasn't sure which field I wanted to go into when I started studying um, but as I progressed through my degree I did a project that involved um, some plasma stuff. It was actually an astronomical plasma project. Um, mm-hmm. And that really sparked my interest in, in plasma research. Um, so that's why I ended up in, in plasma physics for my PhD and things. And then the fusion stuff has come, al- come along a lot later, actually, by the time I got into my um, lecturing position, uh, because people within the group were involved in fusion. Um, so I kind of not fell into it, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't necessarily plan to look at fusion stuff, but I actually found it really interesting. And, and there's so many things that are linked between the different areas of plasmas that it's quite mm. accessible. Cool. And, and so you first studied for your bachelor's degree at the University of Glasgow in physics and astronomy. What was it that first attracted you to physics? Have you always known that you like physics? The first thing, it was the astronomy side, actually. Um, I think... At school, we weren't really exposed to the bigger questions in science um, very well. Uh, and so it was astronomy that really sparked my interest. It's things like the sky at night and, uh, you know, the thoughts of going into space and NASA and, and all those things, because those, those mm-hmm. were the only things I really knew. Um, and it wasn't until I went to university that it, it kind of expanded from there what, what a degree in physics and astronomy could actually offer me. Um, so actually, you know, it's not that it attracted me to physics, it attracted me to astronomy. And uh, <laughs> plasmas just happens to cross all, all the different subjects here. <laughs> cool. And then when you finished at the University of Glasgow, you moved to Loughborough, Loughborough University, to do a PhD in electrical and systems engineering. Your thesis focused on like low temperature atmospheric plasmas. So what is an atmospheric pressure plasma and, and what did your study focus on? Um, So I'm not sure what your audience already know about plasmas, but in general, plasmas are ionised gases. Um, For fusion, obviously, you're looking at fully ionised things and you smash them together to make make new things or you produce energy. At atmospheric pressure, only some of the gas is ionised, not everything. And it's much colder, so it's a, it's a room temperature plasma, or the, the things that I look at are room temperature plasmas. Um, so you can get really interested in chemistry, and the chemistry can be really complex because obviously you interact with all the species that are in air. So you've got oxygen and nitrogen, 
and you can make really interesting chemical species which then interact with whatever you are applying your plasma to so that could be some sort of biological target so they've used atmospheric pressure plasmas for cancer treatments and for skin treating skin models and things like that i look at more to do with i look at more to do with coatings now so looking at putting things onto surfaces but my phd was focusing on examining the chemistry but to do that computationally because obviously it's so complex atmospheric pressures plasmas are small so they're quite hard to, to figure out what's going on using a uh, regular diagnostics you can't stick a langmuir probe in there you can't figure out you know what's going on without disturbing disturbing that plasma so we use computational modeling to look at how the plasmas form and the chemistry that they produce so that we can then tailor our experiments um, to be the best that they can be and produce the right chemistry where we want them. Sounds really interesting. And did you always know that you wanted to go on to a PhD? I think I did. I, I was always one of those people that every time the t- teachers at school went, oh, well, you can, you can go into banking you know, physics. I was like, I don't want to go into banking. And I didn't want to be a as teacher. I didn't want to go back in, in, into high school or you know that kind of environment. So I just went, well, how do I keep doing this? <laughs> and the answer is, you go to do a PhD, and that's how you keep doing this. And I don't think I've ever left the university system up to this point. So um, if you want to stay in research, then yeah, a PhD is definitely definitely a key component to that. So you just thought, oh, I like this at the moment. I'm just going to keep wanting to yeah, do this. <laughs> pretty much. Yes. <laughs> and then after your PhD in Loughborough, you came to Liverpool, which is where we're both at now. So you're a postdoctoral researcher. So what, what does a postdoc involve and what did your research involve while you're in Liverpool? So my postdoc was quite a departure from what I did in my PhD. It was still atmospheric pressure plasmas, but now I was moving from being purely computational to being an experimentalist, which is quite a big leap and it's a bit mm-hmm. scary, but it's not impossible. Um, and I had some really good people um, when I came to Liverpool who helped, you know, show me how to do things and, and train me up on, on various instruments. So a postdoctoral researcher is, I don't want to say a dog's body, but <laughs> they are the kind of, they're the people that fulfill the research project that an academic has written. So as an academic, you write proposals, on a certain piece of research you get funding for it that funding then pays for someone like a postdoctoral researcher to come along and actually do that research for you um and that's what i was um so it was looking at an atmospheric pressure plasma stuff but looking at mass spectrometry so mass spectrometry is where you look again at chemistry but you look at the mass of different ions um, and neutral species that um, are produced in your plasmas and that again it's similar to the computational stuff we did it's it's looking at how chemicals are formed what happens to them in the plasma um, and how they how they they evolve in the plasma so yeah it's it's similar to what I did in PhD as in chemistry wise but it was completely different because it was all experimental so that that was quite, that was quite interesting and I'm, I'm glad I went down that route yeah it gives you a 
experimentally yeah. and computationally. That's cool. And then alongside the kind of atmospheric pressure plasmas, your research has also involved fusion, especially you said like in, in the latter years of your career. And you're also one of the supervisors on the fusion CDT program. So how does your research in atmospheric pressure plasmas link with fusion? So it might sound like it doesn't because atmospheric pressure plasmas and fusion plasmas are in principle quite different, obviously. Um, <laughs> however, when you get to the edges of fusion reactor, you come into contact with low temperature plasmas. Um, and this is this link. So it's not necessarily atmospheric pressure, it's obviously low pressure but you get a wealth of chemistry produced at the, the, the edges of fusion reactors and different physics compared to what's going on in the center. And it's really important that we understand the outside as well as the inside of a fusion reactor. Um, and my the most recent project that I've, I've got within the, the fusion CDT program is going to look at the diverter region. Um, so I think it's similar to what you're looking at, Ella, actually. Mm. Um, it's looking at how, so the mast U has just gone through a massive upgrade um, and it's got this super X diverter, which means that they're trying to cool the plasma more before it hits, hits the walls. Um, and within that, there's something called a detached plasma. Um, so that, again, cools all those, those high energy species down before it hits the wall. So it means it protects the reactor a bit more. Um, and they're looking at something called gas puffing. So they're going to put in additional gases into those regions to cool the plasma further. Um, and that's obviously going to produce a whole lot of new chemistry that we just don't know yet because they're obviously still just starting to run these experiments. So that's where the link for me comes in, is on the chemistry side. So I think through this, we've seen that I didn't do chemistry. I'm not a chemist, right? I, didn't, I did physics, astronomy. I went into electrical engineering departments. But the chemistry that we speak about here is quite different to what you might look at in a chemistry lab. So mm -hmm. if anybody out there thinking, oh, that sounds like chemistry and I don't do chemistry. I never <laughs> did chemistry and I'm not a chemist. However, um, I think the gas chemistry that we're looking at is it's not simple. But the actual element mental side of it is relatively simple, but it's understanding yeah. those reaction processes. Yeah, and really important for fusion, especially in that exhaust region, the diverter. Yeah. I saw recently as well, the Mastu new campaign is undergo at the moment. And recently there was a news article that said that the SuperX diverter, this new design that they've got for this exhaust, has seen a, a massive decrease in temperatures, which is really, really exciting. And yeah, there's going to be a lot of new research into that over the next yeah couple of the years and next campaigns. So what was it about fusion that really drew you to the field? I think I think it's such a big thing that it it's hard not to be drawn to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so exciting. And I think we've gone through the phases of, oh it's 30 years away, it's always 30 years away. I genuinely think we're so close now and not necessarily just to get in the energy out, which is obviously the ultimate goal, but the, the technological developments that we're making just to design these reactors, you know, we've seen that with the, the mass due upgrade. We're going to see that with programs like STEP. Um, so where the UK is making its own little spherical tokamak to be a kind of prototype commercial reactor. That's, I mean, that's really exciting. And I think, just to be a small part of that is is something that's 
you know, I think it's something that everybody not dreams about, but you know, to be part of something bigger than just your own little bit is is quite quite nice. Yeah, it's quite nice being in fusion because I think a, a lot of the motivation behind people getting in are very altruistic, you know, wanting to make a difference and yeah, make fusion a reality. So it's quite a inspiring field to be in. I think as well, it's it's a real community. You feel the community within it. Everybody, like you say, everybody's working towards a common thing. Nobody's out for themselves. Nobody's, you know, looking for their minute in the sunshine. It's it's more about you know actually making it happen, which which is nice. Yeah, and and these big problems are, are getting solved, and we're getting closer and closer. And with the with the step program in the UK, the spherical tokamak for energy production that the UK government is funding I think that's kind of motivation for all the people in fusion to yeah. keep working and, and go I think as well that kind of shows that there are jobs in it I think one of the fears that I always had going into physics was well if I'm not an academic what can I do mm-hmm. and I think the fusion industry is really stepping up to be like well this is what you can do now you know it's there are companies who are designing these things the technology behind it there is there's a massive kind of real drive to develop these things outside Mm -hmm. of academia so if academia is not your thing there are lots of options to still stay in the same fields which I think is is really nice yeah I think one of the great things about fusion is that it's very multidisciplinary and that's one thing that I've been coming back to a lot on this podcast because that we've got engineers and, and there's chemical engineers, mechanical engineers, electronic engineers, physicists, all the other types of work that goes into building a fusion pilot plant, regulation, communication. I think it's such a big project and it's quite motivating that it's such an international project and there's a lot of international interest because it kind of proves that fusion is really important because loads of people want it to happen and um, that's quite exciting. Yeah, definitely. You're also involved very much in the outreach programmes at University of Liverpool. You're the departmental outreach coordinator here in the Electrical Engineering and Electronics Department. And you're also an active member on the Fusion CUT Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Have you always had a passion for outreach and, and this kind of thing? And what was your motivation behind being involved in these kind of activities? I think I never did outreach as a student and there was opportunities, but I think I was underconfident in terms of actually speaking I think it's when I became a lecturer that I actually realized the lack of diversity that we have on our courses and that's not just physics that's electrical engineering as well and I I think I saw the need to do it and you know the fact that if we if I didn't do it who else was going to um and there are lots Mm. of people within the department who are doing it but I think you know that's what kind of really made me passionate about it was that kind of side of it was we need more people in this field and fusion as well I think we've seen that you know we struggle to get a a diverse range of people applying and it's not clear why um so I think you know we need to look into those issues and figure out what's going on is it because so like me I, I was underconfident I Maybe one of the reasons I didn't go into fusion directly is because I saw it for it's for smart people, but 
then you look back and you go, well, I've done a degree, done a PhD. I am technically one of those <laughs> smart people, even though I don't feel like it some of the time. Um, so I think it's, it's kind of just wide, broadening the approach to show that, like you say, engineers, physicists, chemists, everyone can be involved. And it's not about how smart you're perceived to be because you, mm. you've done the hard work. You, you know, you're there because you should be. Um, it's just about making the choices to go into those fields um, because we do need that wider approach um, to get all the ideas and to make things like fusion happen. It doesn't happen because one group of people, it happens because, you know, new people come along with new ideas. So I think that's, that's what's kind of encouraged me to do more of the fusion, the EDI stuff, as well as the outreach stuff within the department. So for electrical engineering in general as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's something that, that I realised when coming on to do a PhD. I think a lot of people, especially underrepresented groups in, in STEM and just in academia in general, there is kind of a lot of imposter syndrome that people feel. But then speaking to people who, like yourself and, and other colleagues, like peers on my course, a lot of people feel imposter syndrome. It's like, well, we can't all be imposters on yeah. a PhD. So I think, yeah, outreach and, and showing that there are these opportunities is, is really important. And one of the the great things I think you're doing in your work as well. So what does a day in the life of a lecturer at the University of Liverpool look like? Maybe, you know, I've been asking this question to guests and it's difficult to answer, especially with the pandemic, but normally in, in a pre-COVID world and then maybe in the last year, how's your work been? In the pre-COVID world, yeah, yeah post-COVID world as well, maybe. Yeah. It's a mix of stuff and it changes depending on, you know, the time of year and if you're teaching or not teaching. Um, I would say every day is different. I don't yeah. think I've ever had the same. Um, so if I'm teaching, obviously, I well, at, at the minute we record all our lectures. So that was that was an interesting learning curve um, recording all the content in advance. Um, or, you know, you're teaching face to face with students, which I do enjoy because at least, you know, you. I think face-to-face -face is nice because you kind of get the sense whether they understand what you're telling them or not. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously there's other aspects to, to being a lecturer. So you've got um, the administration side or what they call leadership side for me is outreach. Um, so I'm either developing activities, running activities um, or organizing activities. <laughs> <laughs> and then as well as that, we have the research side. So that's getting in the lab and either supervising students, so like yourself, or um, or doing research, you know, coming up with new ideas and plans for projects or just trying things out, which is, you know, that's the part I really love. That's that's why I got into this. So it, I'm in the middle of a lab move at the minute, though, so that's, that's a bit hectic. <laughs> and then you have a whole life outside of that, which is all this stuff do you know for the community so you've got you know i sit on the institute of physics plasma fusion board uh, plasma board i sit on you know the fusion cdt management board as well as you know the, the edni committee um you do things like reviewing papers and reviewing grants and writing grants and papers <laughs> so there's lots of different things that you know you do as part of that and then obviously you go to things like conferences which would be so nice to do an in-person conference 
I'm in the middle of organizing conferences as well. So our next uh, Institute of Physics annual plasma conference is going to be in Liverpool. Um, so it's it's trying to get the best venues. And, and, and I must admit, I do kind of like it. I, I, I like the organizational side as well because I get to go visit <laughs> just to yeah. you know the various things. So there's lot, lots and lots of different things. I don't think there is a typical day. Like I say, everything changes and, and it depends on the time of year. But that that's kind of why I enjoy the job is because even if you have a bad day, you know there's another good day to come. That was really interesting. Gives you a lot of different things to do. You don't get bored of, of the same thing every day. And then in your free time, what what would you, where would we usually find you doing? What would you be usually doing in your free time? Um, so I have a few hobbies, ones that I've not done for a while now. Um, so I like rock climbing. Nice. And that's because of Liverpool, actually, because they've got a few good climbing walls. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I started. Yeah, I've not been for about a year and a half now, but um, climbing's quite fun <laughs> when you can. I like going walking. There's lots and lots of different walks. I know that kind of sounds boring to anybody young, but when you get older, you're just like, oh, let's just go a walk. <laughs> um, reading. Um, I try... Um, I was never a very good reader at school and I hated having to do book reports because I'd only ever get halfway through a book before I had to write the reports. So I just made it up. Um, so now at <laughs> least when you've got time, it's nice to read a book, although it's it's a bit far and few between still. Um, but that that's quite nice. And I try to read stuff that is not science and it's not, yeah. you know, <laughs> work really. <laughs> um, so that that's quite good. I enjoy that. Yeah, I found it difficult, especially doing my undergraduate degree, to to get into a book because I was always thinking, oh, I need to read this textbook or I need to think of this paper. But I think it's such a nice way yeah, to Yeah, you do relax. start to feel guilty. I've got 20 exam papers to mark, but then you're like, <laughs> nah, this book is far too good to, to mark yeah. the exam paper <laughs> They can wait. <laughs> and then just before you go, finally, do you have any advice for anybody that's wanting to get into fusion, get into plasma physics, get do a PhD. Yeah, do you have any tips on, on the best I, ways to do that? Yeah, I mean, I would one thing I think I've learned is always more than one route to anything. Mm-hmm. And there's always more than one chance to get there. So it, it, if for some reason you've had some difficulties or you've not quite got the start you wanted, look at different options. There's, you know, so we've got, there's master's programs, there's the PhD program obviously is great, but, um, I think just trying to expel to things. So a lot of places do summer placements or, you know, um, like work placements and things. So, I mean, I when I was an undergraduate, I tried to do as much, especially in the summer as I could. So I did a project with the, the Affic Glasgow. I did, I went to Chef Summer School. You know, there's various kind of things that add to your resume that aren't necessarily just the academic bit. Um, mm. And I think that's that's important to try to get that side of it across. Because when you do apply for PhDs and stuff, I guess everybody's kind of got the same qualifications, as it were. So you're looking mm. for the passion in people, really. So as long as you're passionate about it and you can put that across, I think, you know, that's, that's the thing. And just... Find something you're really passionate about. So if it's fusion, for which bit of fusion? Because I think as we've we've seen, there's lots and lots of different bits. You know, I didn't start off wanting to go into fusion. Yeah, I'm in it now. So there's, you know, it's not time limited. It's not something mm-hmm. you think, oh, well, a PhD when I'm 21, then, you know, I won't be able to do it later. But, 
you know, there's there's from companies that come across and do PhDs or research programs and stuff. So I think, you know, if it's really something you want to do, then I'm sure you will be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Don't think yourself, you know, oh, I'm not smart enough for that. Something like you've said, it, it, mm-hmm. and it's just a case of going, no, I am. You know, just have self is is a big one. Yeah. One of the, the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast as well is to show that there are lots of different routes into fusion or, you know, this could be applied to, to any field, really. Yeah. Lots of people just are passionate about something and then follow it. And then this is where they, they've ended up. So, yeah, it's quite interesting. Awesome. That, that's some really great tips. Thanks, Kirsty. Yeah, I really enjoyed chatting with you today about your career. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Sorry for George. <laughs> <laughs>